Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. On a
מאמינה.
had the most amazing dream last night. It was very thrilling and entrancing. The world became a place so filled with light. And in my dream, Jews everywhere were dancing. Because Mashiach had arrived, peace and love began to thrive. No more war, no more hate. A time to celebrate a Since long ago at Har Sinai, Chavedim Ko Yisroel. Mi she'asa nisim, asa nisim l'avoteinu, ve'ga'al otam, me'avdot l'cheru. Hashem, we beg of you, please make this dream come true. By now it's surely known, we just can't do it on our own. And though for centuries, we've waited patiently. so wrong I think deep down they knew it all along because Mashiach had arrived peace and love began to thrive the whole world came to storm our gates but there's no gators it's too late and for the first time my oh my since long ago at Har Sinai Hashem we beg of you please make this dream
היום נביט כולם ביחד לשמיים. הם פתוחים לאור גדול, הלילה בשביל שניים. כל ששון וכל שמחה, כל חטאה וחלה. וזה היום, קדוש כולו, תכלית הבריאה. והשכינה עומדת כאן, זכה וטהורה. תח בלבלה ברינה ומצעולה. בואי בשלום הדרת בלם, גם ברינה ומצעולה.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Mordechai ben David and Timcha as Zecher Amalek. As we uh, stand on the Erev Shabbos Zacher here at J.M. in the A.M. Wow, that is some song, huh? <laughs> Mordechai ben David, before that, Rafal Malul and Daga Minayin. Mayain, brand new from Eitan Katz. Moshe Klein, brand new with Bowie. Chaverim, brand new from Journeys, volume number five. Bos Shabbos and L'chaim done by Yaakov Shweki. Eighth day with Una Messer. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. <clears throat> and we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this March the 11th. Day 8 in the month of Adar 2. It's Adar Shani, the year 5782. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayikra, Erev Shabbos Zachar. Candle lighting time in New York, 538. We will change the clock tomorrow night, so that'll get much later. 538 for this Shabbos. Wednesday is Tanis Esther, Thursday is Purim, Friday is Shushan Purim. And uh, here we are on this Friday, Erev Shabbos Zohar at JM in the AM. 39 degrees with 66% humidity, winds are west at 2 miles an hour. Sunny today with a high temperature of 53. Then tonight, 
Cloudy periods of rain and a low temperature of 44. Some rain, some snow, and some wind on Shabbos with a high temperature of 47 degrees. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 43. We're at 39 in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Uh, Malcolm Holine expected about an hour from now. Weekly update here at JM and the AM. I want to thank Mayor Furtick, who conducted the weekly update last week. And uh, Malcolm, I believe, is traveling, and we will be able to reach him, uh, I think, in Israel, which would be an added bonus, as we always say. Uh, so that'll be about an hour from now here at JM in the AM. Uh, Harry Rothenberg, Rabbi Yudin, they'll address Parshas Vayikra and Shabbos Zohar and plenty more coming up on a Friday Erev Shabbos. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Nachum Siegel. I want to thank everyone for all the good wishes. Great to have gotten back yesterday to the studio, Baruch Hashem. And um, we are uh, anticipating, well, I, I shouldn't say it that way. Uh, as I said yesterday in my explanation for what was going on, over the last uh, many weeks, uh, we're hoping, let's put it that way, we are hoping that uh, that the um, that the long COVID or post-COVID that I have been involved with is dissipating. Please, God, please, God. And at the same time, we're hoping that uh, this difficult foot situation, as I continue to recover from surgery and continue to be on this heavy antibiotic we're hoping that that also continues to improve so thank everybody for your good wishes thanks to everybody for all your uh um for all your concern believe you me it's much appreciated and hopefully both these situations will uh finally begin to uh get back to normal so to speak as we uh, continue on with JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. More coming up. Here's Lipa at JM and the AM. <laughs>
sind für jeden Kind. Am Rücken hat's noch ein paar Nuss, ein paar Wochen. Finde ganze Mischbuche, Aschreiche kochen. Ah, 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 finde. Bitte, ich dachte, ihr Mama verregen. Wollen wir schon mal am Versagen
Shalshalis Jr. That's Vishamru here at JM in the AM. Miami before that. Suggestion off of the app. Thanks, listener Judy Landy with uh, Kane Tialanu. Tata Mama done by Shmuley Unger. Lipa had Birchas Oreach on a Friday Erev Shabbos in America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle Network, and of course, any beloved NSN app. Galite's on the background to our news from Israel coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Harry Rothenberg, Parshas Vayikra, Shabbos Zohar. We'll uh, hear from him, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, officially the uh, 
Uh, weekly update, Malcolm Honline will join us. 8.15 for Rabbi Yudin. I'm told Rabbi Yudin has quite a lot to tell us today with Shabbos Zohar and Purim coming up. So we'll have that for you uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. And uh, the Arab Shabbos show, Mark Zamek, with an encore presentation of the Arab Shabbos show starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And that will be um, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem, plus, of course, our Arab Shabbos music mix, our final hour, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. JNM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים באולפן הדר ויסמונסקי ויינברג עם מה שקורה עכשיו. באוקראינה התחדש היום הירי הרוסי על קייב ולבוב לאחר שלושה ימי שקט. הממשלה שם דיווחה כי עד כה נהרגו במלחמה עם רוסיה 78 ילדים. רוסיה מצידה נמקה היום בהצהרה שפרסמה את הפלישה לאוקראינה ואמרה שקייב ביצעה טבח באזרחים רוסים ונאטו המשיך לבסס את כוחותיו סמוך לגבולות רוסיה. כתבת חדשות החוץ ציון סימפסון גרוסמן עדכנה כי נשיא רוסיה ולדימיר פוטין הגיב לעיצומי המערב ואמר כי בעבר עיצומים רק חיזקו את רוסיה. עוד אמר כי חלה התקדמות בשיחות עם אוקראינה. ברקע המלחמה באוקראינה קשיים במשא ומתן להשגת הסכם גרעין בווינה שר החוץ של האיחוד האירופי ג'וזף בורל הודיע לפני שעה קלה שנדרשת הפסקה בשיחות בשל מה שהגדיר נסיבות חיצוניות. בורל הוסיף כי המסמך הסופי מוכן ומונח על השולחן. כזכור, הרוסים דורשים שהעיצומים שהוטלו עליהם בעקבות הלחימה באוקראינה לא ישפיעו על היחסים עם איראן. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מוסיפה כי גורם מדיני ישראלי מסר לגלי צה"ל שבמהלך פגישת בנט פוטין הסוגיה האיראנית הייתה דומיננטית מאוד כלשונו. קטר מברכת על החלטת נשיא ארצות הברית ג'ו ביידן, שהורה להגדירה בת ברית מרכזית של ארצות הברית מבין המדינות שאינן חברות בנאטו. על ההחלטה הודיעה אמש הבית הלבן. בכך קיים ביידן את הבטחתו לאמיר קטר, תמים בן חמד, בפגישתם לפני מספר שבועות. כתבנו לענייני ערבים ג'קי חוגי מציין כי הגדרה זו מעניקה לדוחה מעמד מיוחד של שותפה אסטרטגית במגעיה עם וושינגטון, בעיקר בתחומים של ביטחון והשקעות. החל מהבוקר ובמהלך הימים הקרובים יחולקו 65,000 עלוני הסבר על נגיף הפוליו, שיתוק ילדים, בתיבות הדואר בשכונות חרדיות בירושלים, ביתר עילית ובית שמש. כתבתנו לענייני בריאות טל אור מאירסון מדווחת כי משרד הבריאות מגביר בכך את מאמצי ההסברה בעקבות התפרצות הנגיף. המשרד שב וקורא להורים לחסן את הילדים שטרם התחסנו ולהעניק להם הגנה מלאה מפני הנגיף. גבר בן 60 נפגע היום במצב קשה לאחר שהתמוטט סמוך לקו הסיום במרוץ חצי מרתון עמק המעיינות. חובשים ופרמדיקים של מגן דוד אדום ביצעו בו פעולות החייאה מתקדמות שכללו שימוש במכשיר מפעם, דפיברילטור. לאחר שליבו שב לפעום, הוא פונה לבית החולים העמק בהכרה ובמצב קשה. תחזית מזג האוויר מחר יהיה מעונן חלקית עד מעונן ועדיין ייתכן גשם מקומי קל, יוסיף להיות קר מהרגיל העונה ובחרמון ירד שלג קל. מיד אחרי החדשות, המשך מצעד מוזיקה מהמסך של גלגלצ ו-N12 עם דלית רצ'סטר ואורי פפר והשירים הגדולים מהסרטים. שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
Shido 
David Perlman and company with Tzvi Silberstein. That's called Modim here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, the uh, what did we begin the hour with? Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> You'd think I'd remember, right? Uh, began the hour with um, uh, Shia Rubenstein and Shabbos Hayom. 
uh, here at JMM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Erev Shabbos Zacher, with a big thank you to Avrami Finkelstein and Mayor Ferdig for taking over during my absence. Great to be back, and thanks to everybody for all the uh, good wishes as we continue to try to mend from the couple of situations I described yesterday. As Rat Hashem will just keep improving and improving, and I thank everybody out there. Uh, Tanis Esther, the fast of Esther is Wednesday. We're here at JM and the AM. Thursday is Purim. We're here. We don't know exactly what form JM, JM and the AM will take Purim morning, but uh, you'll certainly have plenty of great Purim selections all day long. Remember, we are your Purim soundtrack, the Nahum Siegel Network, and uh, we prove that every single year. You're having friends and guests over, uh, friends and family. Um, during the Purim Suda and other times during the day, you make sure to have the Nahum Siegel Network on. And Friday, a week from today, is Shushan Purim. We'll celebrate together here at JM in the AM. Sunshine with a high temperature of 53. Some rain and snow and wind for tomorrow. Shabbos Zachar. Keep that in mind for the New York City area. And candle lighting in New York, 538, the final one of the early Shabbatot, if you will. It'll be much later next week because we'll switch to daylight saving time uh, tomorrow night. Keep that in mind, Harry Rothenberg with words about Parshas Vayikra on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Throughout this week's Torah portion, the Hebrew word im, if, is used many times in connection with the karbanos, the sacrifices. If a person does that, he or she has to bring this sacrifice. If he or she pledges that, they have to bring that type of sacrifice. But there's one time when the Torah changes the word to the Hebrew word asher, that. That word is used in connection, and only in connection with, the sacrifice that the Nasi, the leader of the Jewish people, has to bring if he commits an unintentional transgression. Some commentators link the use of that unusual word to the word ashrei, fortunate. Fortune is the generation who has a leader who atones even for his unintentional transgressions. How inspiring for the rest of the people. But I heard a different explanation once that's equally important. Asher, that means it's going to happen. It's not an if, it's a when. When the leader of the Jewish people sends. It's telling us through that subtle switch in the language, one word changing, that mistakes are inevitable. Even the leader of the Jewish people makes mistakes, is going to make mistakes. Not infallible. No one's perfect. I tell this to my kids all the time when they suggest that perhaps I'm making a mistake. I say, you may be right. It does happen every once in a while. I remember in 1998, I made a minor mistake. And then again in 2006, once every 20 years or so. So I'm due. It's possible. But kidding aside, no one's perfect. And we have to recognize that, that we are going to make mistakes. We have to learn from them. We have to grow from them. And we can't be afraid to make a mistake or we'll stunt our spiritual growth. We grow after making that mistake, falling off the horse, dusting ourselves off thinking about what we did wrong, resolving to repair our ways, and then getting back up on that horse and back in the saddle. And that's why, after the biggest mistake ever in Jewish history, the golden calf, after Moshe came down from the mountain, saw what was going on, smashed the tablets, we picked up the shards of those tablets, and we put them in the Aron, in the Holy Ark, and we used to bring them into battle. That mistake after proper contemplation and repentance and repair of our wayward ways, became our strength.
Confident and resolute, not much in life is absolute. How the future will unfold, who will win the Super Bowl? But in the Grace Meisher's view, one thing you can be sure is true, and he wrote it unequivocally. There ain't no Bishel in a Cleasley She. Ain't no Bishel in a Cleasley She. Ain't no Bishel in a Cleasley She. You can try for all eternity. There ain't no Bishel in a Cleasley She. Cleary Show, Cliche D. Well, there's a different case to see. I could say with positivity. There ain't no Bishel in a Cleasley She. 
It don't take much to conclude this world has little certitude. In years past, high fat could kill. Now it's a diet pill. They don't work. There are at least two sides in each debate. And stocks will always fluctuate. If the hero died, it's guaranteed. There ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. Ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. Ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. You can try for all eternity. But there ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. Cleary Show, Cleachly Well, there's a different case, you see. It's an inescapability. Yeah. There ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. I know not. The food in that bowl sure seems hot. That's no cause to make a fuss. It's all about in whom you trust. For if Moshe said that it's a fact, not the farmer's almanac. And that's sure good enough for me. There ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. Ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. Ain't no Bishel in a Cleachly She. Don't try for all. In a cleachly she.
joy till you give it away. Let's make people smile today. Making the rounds, gonna see who's home. I'll be right over. I can't do this alone. I got a gift for you. I got a gift for you. Ishlene, yeah, yeah. Something for every Jew. Got a gift for you. I got a gift for you. Ishlene, yeah, yeah. Can't do this without you. It's that joyous time of year. I think you can tell. Wicked Harmon's plans didn't work out so well. So we give gifts of food to feed the need. Feed the need for unity. Cause it ain't joy till you give it away. Let's make people smile today. Can't sit around, gotta see who's home. I'll be right over. I can't do this alone. I got a gift for you. I got a gift for you. Each Gift for you in honor of uh, Purim 5782. That's where we're at, right? 5782? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shoshana Yaakov, brand new from Lenny Solomon. Journey's brand new from Volume 5 with Ain't No Bishel. That is actually featuring Tali Yes, son of the great Moshe Yes, uh, who originally sang that song. We've played that very, very often. Uh, Yom Zed, done by Eitan Freilich to open up uh, that set here at JM. In the AM Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Zohar, candlelighting at 538 in New York. We change the clock tomorrow night. Keep that in mind. We will fall forward and lose an hour. Uh, Tanis Esther, the fast of Esther is Wednesday. Thursday is Purim. Friday is Shushan Purim. We'll celebrate together next week, please God. Malcolm Honline expected about 10 minutes from now. 
weekly update here at JM and the AM. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, and reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website at kosherdogs.net. Make sure to try A&H today. And uh, as I've been recommending, A&H, a perfect source for great, fun, delicious food for your Purim Suda. Simple as that. You know the rule. You go to artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. They've got the Megillas. They've got all the uh, uh, amazing um, uh, Purim books and so much going on over there uh, at artscroll.com. You'll see it when you get to the, uh, get to the website. But I do want to mention that this coming Monday, please God, uh, Rabbi Glatstein, Rabbi Daniel Glatstein is going to join us. The brand new book is called The Concealed and the Revealed. Discover the depth and beauty of Purim like never before. We are expecting Rabbi Glatstein to join us this coming Monday. Very much looking forward to it. And uh, when you purchase that book on the website or anything from artscroll.com, make sure to use promo code radio. Also, there's a special price right now in the English Yerushalmi between now and the end of March with over $700 available in savings. Uh, so check that out. And a brand-new Uncle Maishi book and music album for Pesach is coming as well, uh, all from Artscroll. Go to artscroll.com. And again, remember the rule, always use promo code RADIO for your savings and your free shipping. Simple as that. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Thank you, listener, Daniel. Welcome back from AJA Carpool number 204. And a big thank you to those who are uh, commenting on the app and Wishing me well. It is much appreciated. Believe you me. I am glad to be here. At some points this week, I didn't think this would be a chance that I'd be here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos Zachar here at JM and the AM. So a big thank you to everybody. And uh, as I said yesterday, it was more more f- uh, straightforward with this audience uh, uh, than, <laughs> than ever about this whole situation. Uh, ever since I had COVID at the end of December, I have been going through this I would call it crazy post-COVID situation, which I hope is continuing to improve, please God. And then on top of that, as you heard last Friday, I had foot surgery for a massive foot infection on this heavy antibiotics. But we are persevering, getting to work, and trying our hardest to keep on going here at JM&AM as we get closer and closer to Purim. Uh, We'll have an opportunity to speak about what's happening in this crazy world of ours coming up when uh, Malcolm Honline joins us. He will join us... um, uh, at about 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JMM. I believe he is in Israel, so we will uh, have that added opportunity of connecting with him while he's in the Holy Land, which is always extra special, as you know. And uh, we'll figure it out from there. More coming up. Keep it here at JM in the AM. Shalom, 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 Shalom,
That's David Gabe with uh, Timche. Got to get back to that selection a little later on. It's a good one for an Erev Shabbos Zachar here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with candlelighting in New York, 538, the last of the quote-unquote early Shabbatot as we uh, change the clock tomorrow night. Don't forget daylight saving time tomorrow night. Keep that in mind as we get to um, 
as we get to the uh, spring and summer months. Uh, Wednesday is Tanis Esther, Thursday is Purim, Friday is Shushan Purim. We should be here every single one of those days in one way, shape, or form uh, with great morning programming. And don't forget, we have uh, the distinction of being your soundtrack, not just for a Friday era of Shabbos, like today and next week on Shushan Purim, but also on Purim itself. If you are uh, entertaining family and friends, just tune into the Nahum Siegel Network. You will have an amazing array of great Purim selections that will be coming through your uh, web radio your app, uh, whatever system you use, your computer, whatever system you use uh, to tune in to us. That will be happening all through Purim Day. We are your soundtrack for Purim Day. I uh, got a nice note from uh, Dr. Mark. Uh, he asked me to uh, extend Mazel Tov wishes to the newly engaged couple, Aliza Mandelbaum and Raziel Siegman. Mazel Tov, Aliza and Raziel. Mazel Tov to the college's parents, Srili and Sima, and to all of her siblings. And Mazel Tov to the husband's father, Jonathan, and to his mother, Toby. From all of us here at JM in the AM. And uh, Dr. Mark, I'm going to say belated happy birthday. Well, I think we wished you a happy birthday yesterday. We'll say a belated happy birthday uh, today as well here at JM in the AM. Uh, don't forget, if you want to uh, check out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world and really about everything happening in this current situation, you can go to jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com, print them out before Shabbos, and have plenty to go through uh, over the weekend. Again, go to jewishworldreview.com and uh, learn more and more about this interesting world of ours. Malcolm Honline is in Israel. I want to thank Mayor Furtig, by the way, for keeping the momentum going and doing the weekly update last week. I have caught up, so I'm familiar with the topics that were discussed last week, and obviously we'll revisit some of those and get to some of the uh, topics of this week here at JM&AM. So a big thank you to Mayor Furtig, and obviously an additional thank you to Avrami Finkelstein, the two of them, in addition to the great staff and volunteers of the Nahum Siegel Network, uh, really uh, put in a yeoman's effort uh, during my absence, and it's much, much appreciated. Malcolm Honline is in Israel, which always makes our conversations even more special as we try to connect with the Holy Land. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, shalom, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good. Welcome back to you. And it's, Thank you. Uh, it's good to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Mayor did a great job, though. Yeah, he certainly did. I heard the spot, and I'm very thankful to him. And um, it's great to speak to you always, but especially when you're in the Holy Land, as I always describe. Speaking of the Holy Land, and again, we'll revisit some of last week's topics, but there's so much new this week uh, with the situation that's going on, which we'll get to as well. But I, I, you know, we have been hearing rumors since the start of this war about the possibility of Israel serving as some type of intermediary. We actually heard a rumor about some type of summit, and I know this goes back a few days, and believe me, in this war, a day or two is a lifetime. Um, we even heard a rumor about the possibility of a summit taking place between the two sides in Israel itself. What could you tell us about Israel's possible further involvement in all of this? So uh, I think it's quite remarkable, and most Jews, I think, take a lot of pride in the fact that you know that Israel was able to play a role that few countries in the world could play. The United States couldn't. The uh, others couldn't. In being the intermediary between the two sides, not to, to it, I think, was to increase communication and to see if there was a nexus on which some sort of a solution could be arrived at, and that that role has continued. Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, has continued to be in touch with the two sides, and I heard I, I, we had a call with uh, 
President Zelensky, and uh, he praised the role that the Israel played. Uh, and I think the uh, you know there have been some harsh comments and commentary, which I hope we can talk about. And and I actually went to the airport uh, the night I arrived, the night before last. It was a very brief visit, and as you know, I was here up to last week. So obviously, it's, it's for important reasons, and especially for the Ukraine issue. But the the uh, I was at the airport to see a group of uh, of Ukrainian Jews arrive, <clears throat> and it was a very emotional, moving thing. So Israel is really playing a critical role in providing humanitarian aid and providing providing assistance. I do not think that there will be a summit of that kind right now. I think the the two parties are talking directly, which is what Israel and others wanted to achieve. It did not succeed in terms of coming to a conclusion, but at least they agreed uh, yesterday in Istanbul to have further discussions. Uh, I think that that is uh, really where the diplomatic process stands right now. Russia seems to be very adamant and refusing uh, some of the approaches that have been made, or everybody recognizes that Putin needs a ladder to climb down to get in, in this situation. We don't know how determined he is, supposedly the... 30-mile convoy of cars is moving, which means that that may reflect uh, a policy position on his part that they're going to start attacking. They're, they're certainly positioning themselves in what looks like attack modes, behind trees, etc. Um, and uh, I think that the people who questioned Netanyahu, uh, Bennett's role in asking would Netanyahu have done it, I think absolutely would have. And anybody could have contributed to, to ending this carnage uh, as I heard firsthand from the people arriving, um, it was certainly a, a valid role. I know this goes back to to some of last week's discussion, but it, it it must be it must be very difficult to evaluate when you're the prime minister of Israel uh, if it's better to get involved or to stay out. Um, and you mentioned last week that there's you know close to a million Jews in Russia, three hundred thousand Jews in the Ukraine, although we don't know what that number is right now. I guess. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, yeah, you really have a, you know a couple of very serious uh, platforms of interest uh, between those two countries. When you're the prime minister of Israel, I, I know that you're not advising the prime minister, but but is it a smart idea to take this active a role, or is it better to sit this one out? You know that you're right that you're posing the dilemma that the prime minister has to have faced. And the decision that he had to make, but the sides wanted him. It. it was actually the Putin, I think, that uh, initiated it, and then he called Zelensky uh, afterwards. After that, but um, no, I think that that it, it reflects a certain status that Israel has achieved. The, you're right that we have many considerations that we have to look at when evaluating this. There are 800,000 Jews. In Russia, by estimates, it could be a million, it could be more, maybe a little less, and, and the 300,000 figure is generally used in regard to the Ukraine, though, again, it's very hard to know because many are completely unaffiliated, uh, and one assumes that they are one about 1% of the population or less, that amongst the refugees, they may be 2 or 3 or 4% uh, of the, of the uh, refugees who've gotten out. So the population still, the bulk of the Jewish population remains in Ukraine. There's been a lot of chesed, a lot of remarkable activities. Um, 
that, that is going on, people doing heroic things, getting people out, uh, trying to create alternative situations to get them out of harm's way. Uh, Jews have been killed in some of the shellings and fighting, uh, including an Israeli who was trying to leave the country, was mistaken for a Chechen gunman. Uh, we, we know that there are uh, Chechens involved, and that scares a lot of the, the Jewish community because they, they tend to be very brutal. So the... Um, you know, a prime minister has to look at all of these considerations. How do you assure that you can still help the Jews, that they don't block us, that the Jews in Russia, uh, by the way, uh, applications for Aliyah have, have increased sharply from there as well. Um, and the economic conditions obviously are very bad. Many people lost their jobs as the foreign companies pulled out. Um, so it's not just in, in the Ukraine that we have to be concerned about people. We have a community there to worry about as well. Uh, but in the Ukraine itself, the food shortages are beginning to, to appear. It's getting harder to get supplies and harder to move things around. Very expensive for those who take buses out. You know, we speak to people who are the agencies from the joint and the Jewish agency to the Chabad and the uh, chief rabbi in Ukraine and others. There's so many wonderful. Hatsala is there doing great work. Unfortunately, I think there are, are unscrupulous people who take advantage of such situations. And I hope that's not happening here to raise money that, that doesn't go on, that doesn't get spent on the ground because you need to have infrastructure. There are no banks functioning in Nahum, so you can't just transfer money uh, and uh, to people to to use. So people should be discreet in their choices. You know, this is one of the topics that has been uh, brought to my attention for the last two weeks, and people were anxious to get your comments. I'm glad you addressed it. Um, it would seem with all the solicitations that are coming through, and if you have one average email account, you're being bombarded by solicitations regarding the Ukraine uh, and a lot of different funds, etc. And I'm not saying that that a that a startup or a GoFundMe campaign, uh, which seems to be a startup, you know, can't be effective and can't be honest. What I am saying is, I would guess you would also recommend the way I've been doing uh, that people should, you know, try to. Uh, if they want to support financially whatever efforts are going on, try to find uh, those organizations that in the past have you know, exhibited responsibility in how they distribute it, uh, one that you have faith in that can actually get the items or the money uh, to the Ukraine. It must be a really difficult process, as you just described. Uh, it, it, more than that, I don't know what to say. You know, I, a lot of people don't know who to trust, and I get that, but usually— Usually, established organizations in our community that have proven themselves in the past in this area uh, are able to, you know, in some way deal with the uh, uh, monies coming in in a responsible fashion. And I guess that's really the only position one can take when when trying to answer the question of where do I give my support. Yesterday on the air, we had really and, and who has? I'm sorry, I just wanted to say that people have people on the ground. It's usually a good sign that they can do things. It's not exclusive. There are organizations, people try to like the good at the OU, others that have set up funds, Britha, uh, JDC, we know are, are reliable. And if you don't know if it's reliable, then do some more homework and check. But I, I share the concern you're expressing. Um, yesterday, Rabbi Kanelsky was on. He has a direct connection for many, many years to Rabbi Wilhelm and the orphanage in, um, in, uh, in the Ukraine. And we know we, he described the entire rescue effort and the 16 buses that took people out. Uh, I don't know what percentage are now in uh, Eastern Europe and what percentage are in Israel, but both are pretty uh, significant representations. And obviously, if one would support a fund like that, we know that they're going uh, to the right place and that the money is being utilized really well. By the way, speaking of refugees, and I know that uh, you know there's so much of this news being covered 
you know, all over the place. But there's certain things that we can address that will be addressed nowhere else, in my opinion. Um, in the context of history, um, how, how do you feel when you see or, or to what degree do you admire? I have to be careful how I ask this question. The people of Poland for what they're doing. I mean, if in fact a million people are heading to Poland and Romania, and I guess that figure a week later is, is much, much higher. Um, you know, a, a country that, you know, in our history has never uh, been seen favorably as one that's ready to rescue people. They are. It looks like they're stepping forward and stepping up in order to do it. What, what are your impressions when you see the reaction of Eastern European countries, especially Poland? You know, these are, are very uh, issues very laden with emotional and historical uh, context in Ukraine, obviously, as well, yep. uh, as uh, a long and, and checkered history. Uh, and many people have raised it with us, uh, but it's not the issue today. Right. Ukraine has a Jewish president, and as I said, I spoke to him this, during this past week. We, we, he's somebody who identified always as Jewish. He wasn't involved in the Jewish community or Jewish practice, but he was certainly identified. And the, the fact is that amongst the East European countries, Jews are most accepted, quote, as citizens by their neighbors um, than they are in Poland or any of the others, Romania, other countries. It was like 5% didn't accept them, uh, which is a remarkable statement. Um, and, and this is a poll that's not very old, but it preceded the war. And uh, I think we're, we're, you know, we have to right now try to focus on our on our primary responsibility, which is to get people out and to see to it that they're taken care of. Uh, I think the other considerations are not relevant. And Poland has taken already more than a million, and supposedly it could be even two million people. It's quite remarkable, you know, and, and I, I just have to do this one side note because I've even heard it from people in the community critical of Israel and saying, well, they are, they've only taken 5,000. And they and as I said to one of the rescue agencies, he, he looked up and he heard the person saying it to me and he said, yes, but that's 5,000 more than the United States took. It's 4,700 more than the United Kingdom took. Germany has taken, you know, 30,000, but it's a big country, Israel has responsibilities to, to a population. We, we have first responsibility to get the Jews out, but they're not discriminating. They have taken non-Jews out. They've taken people even from Lebanon and, uh, and Syria uh, to help facilitate their uh, exit. And I know at the borders, the, the Jewish organizations have worked with people of all faiths, and that's what must be done in these circumstances. Um, so I think people should be very uh, careful these days in getting sidetracked and wasting energy and and, and, and talking about uh, issues that can be debated philosophically at another time, but should focus right now on an obligation. There are many elderly Jews. You have many people. I met one who came off the plane, and she said, this is the second time this has happened to me, Oof. 78 years ago and now. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and I have to tell you, you, you can't walk away from that indifferent. And when... And let me just, uh, for the audience's benefit, this was Pastor Hagee of Christians United for Israel, who paid for this trip. In one week, he raised $2 million to take Jews out, and he has a goal of $20 million. By the way, the federations have raised $20 million in the United States. Huge amounts, the, the generous generosity of our community, 
of the entire Jewish community is really remarkable. But when I saw the plane, and you stand there, and the people came down, first of all, it's, it's so powerful. And you saw little kids. This was 2 o'clock in the morning in the airport. And, um, and what, what I saw was no truck went to take luggage. A big plane, 150, 80 people or something. No luggage. They had no luggage. Nobody had suitcases. They carried what they had in bags in paper bags and things like that. And and some of them had children. Some of the children carried their own little bags of stuff. And uh, and also, no adults. No adults. Uh, males, male adults. It was mothers with children and some grandparents, but 23 men out of 160 people because there was no... Um, there was no... Um, um, uh, you know, they're not allowed to leave. When they're of a certain age, they have to stay in the Ukraine and fight, basically. sixteen to 18 to 60-year-old men cannot leave. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com, and the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. And, yes, those who caught me on the mistake with daylight savings time, it is spring forward. I appreciate that. Yeah, falling forward would not be a good idea. Um, and Malcolm Holine is with us from Israel. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, so now to some of the nuts and bolts of what's going on uh, on the ground. Um, I mean, it's obvious that uh, Putin suspected uh, with his uh, army personnel and his firepower that this would be a much, uh, much more, uh, a much quicker process and one without much opposition. And obviously the Ukrainians have demonstrated Otherwise, what do you attribute it to? Is it a lack of will uh, or, or direction or focus of the Russian soldiers? I mean, I don't even know if they understand what the mission is here. Obviously, I haven't been to Russia to hear the propaganda and the speeches from the uh, president. Uh, but I don't know if the, uh, you know, the, the Ukrainians seem to know what, the, what their goal is. They've got their eye on the prize. Uh, is, the, uh, is, the, uh, um, is the incompetence that's being described of the uh, Russian army because of attitude more or because simply they are incompetent uh, or more incompetent than we originally thought? I don't know how to judge it. I'm not a military person. But you see, when people don't have the motivation, you know, people talk about how Israelis fight because they're fighting for their lives. The Ukrainians are fighting for their lives. They have motivation. And you see some of the interviews with Russians that um, are very disturbing. Uh, when you see that they, that they don't have a sense of mission and stuff. Um, so I think people, um, you know, we will have a chance to, to see more, and we'll see what happens. They say that they send the youngest soldiers up front. That, uh, and by the way, a general got killed in the, in the fighting. But the, um, it, it's... Um, it's such a complex situation, and it's so difficult to assess anything right now. Uh, you know, this overwhelming power. I, I heard from uh, people in the Ukraine, in the Ukrainian uh, army, and others who had witnessed Russian soldiers selling the gasoline from their car, their tanks and stuff, and then saying that they broke down uh, because they're not motivated into the fight, or they didn't know. They thought this was going to be a quick action, clearly, and it's not. They got, and somehow the resistance is much greater than what people had expected, or what Putin, I guess, and the Russians had expected. You know, it would be like the Crimea, where they just cut through. 
the resistance on the part of the of the Iran of the uh, Ukrainians seems to be very uh, uh, seems to be very strong. Uh, there's immense devastation, and m- many of the areas are not covered by the media. They can't see it, so you can't see the, the extent of the, dem- the the devastation that has been. I've heard from eyewitness uh, accounts. Boy, uh, but it's not mostly hand-to-hand contact. There is street fighting. Uh, but I think that it's it's much more limited. It's more the tank and artillery fire and rockets and things like that that is doing the bulk of the damage. And we've been focused on what we're seeing in this social media war, what we're seeing with the uh, immediacy of the photos and videos that are coming out. And you're telling us that it's much it, it's even worse than all of that. If if the if the capital is is in fact taken. Uh, and we don't know, you know, and we keep hearing about and, and hearing comments about the resistance of the Ukrainians and their plans in terms of uh, trying to fend off the the Soviet army in the capital. Uh, but if it is taken, is this going to change things a lot? We know Zelensky is an international popular figure right now. We know that he seems to be really in control. But, you know, once, once the capital is 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 sieged uh, and overtaken, uh, all that can change. What do you, what do you think? Uh, will, will that be a real... Uh, a, a real game changer if, in fact, the Soviets are successful there. The Russians, sorry, in, the Russians. in, in, cap, in capturing, in capturing the, in capturing Ukraine, the capital. In, in Kiev, yeah, which essentially means that the if the government falls and much of the country before right. maybe isolated areas wouldn't. But of course, it's 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 an immense message because nobody knows is this the last stop. Uh, I think that the cost that's entailed. And if I can give you a little bit more of an analysis on this, that some of the things that I think you have to take into account is not simply, you know, if they take city, what's happening at home? These sanctions are so powerful, the economic sanctions uh, on on Russia, which has a very small economy. People don't know, but its it's economy is the size of Italy, and without oil, it's the size of Holland. And he's done amazing things, Putin, with that size economy and building on it and – and um, being able to to exploit it, but now the ruble has lost almost half of its value, if not more, and it wasn't strong before. Uh, what's maintaining it is the uh, oil being at uh, such a high uh, level right now. So, and, and Russia is the largest exporter, not Saudi Arabia, not others. They're the largest exporter of oil in the world, and so they they gain, stand to gain much more from. Um, from uh, you know the, this uh, sharp increase, the inflation of the prices, but at the same time, when all these major companies are pulling out, and at some there will be a, re- a reaction of the people in the country who will who will for at some point um, respond to what's going on. Will will um, uh, maybe rebel, maybe whatever. The oligarchs that are are being stripped of um, a lot of their possessions uh, are obviously a force to reckon with as well within the country. So I wouldn't be sure that this isn't taking a heavy toll. Putin has clear control. Putin has the you know and controls all of the the uh, sources of power, the army, et cetera. But that does not mean that there won't be uh, a price to pay, and that he might be the one to pay the price ultimately. Uh, and and the uh, economic uh, implications of this are are immense when when they're cut off from you know consumer products to the international companies to the things that that uh, impact everything.
everybody's daily life lives. And second, uh, I think that this this is a bigger drain on his his military, and we will find out the answer to your earlier question, which is really a very important one: Is the army failing? Did the did and the designs and the the program they have fail? Did they not anticipate the reaction, or is this all preliminary to what will be a massive onslaught? This is the same strategies they used in Syria in terms of destruction, targeting hospitals, targeting civilian places, creating civic havoc, or some people even liken it to their, to, to their World War II tactics. But they still resort to some of the, you know, this massive influx of power of, of a 20-mile 20 20 mile or 30-mile-long convoy of, uh, of uh, tanks and armored cars. And if you see the pictures, it's, it's unbelievable. But the, the most for a long time, they were stalled. Today, they started uh, moving, as I said before. Also, you, 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 the Ukrainian Air Force has been um, secreted till now. They haven't used it. It's not that it was destroyed. Some of it was. The, the massive cargo carrier, the largest in the world, was. But they have held it in reserve for the assault on Kiev. And it's part of the debate about getting the planes from Poland, either through Germany or directly or whatever, the MiG-29s, to, to, um, to get them to Ukraine. Uh, people don't want to get involved. Countries don't want to get involved in, in what could become an extended conflict. And uh, Russia said, you know, we will hold those countries to account as well. NATO has also been exposed as being weak and maybe ineffective. And the fact is that most European countries don't have armies, don't have real capabilities. All of these are things that, that people knew, but it's, it's being highlighted. And we will have to find out, and we'll know much more in a couple of days and weeks, a week, about the answers to some of the questions about the performance of the Russian military. One thing I can be sure is that Putin is really frustrated by it and, and embarrassed by the, uh, the global perception of the, of the Russian army. Well, you warned us about Putin, and uh, it's amazing how one man can destroy millions of lives in such a short period of time. Um, you mentioned the United States. We don't even have a clear policy, and that's basically you know, based on the comments of the, or lack of comments of the vice president. We don't even have a policy when it, in regard to refugees right now. Um, w- would you consider the United States involved in this or not? I mean, the no-fly zone is being debated in Washington constantly, and the uh, you know, the question of, uh, about whether a U- U.S. entry in a way like that is uh, going to start World War III and the weapons or more accurately the uh, uh, the MiG deliveries you're, that you described earlier, you know, the, the system that should be used to get them to the Ukrainians is being bandied about and argued in the media and in Washington. Uh, is the U.S. involved now, in your opinion, or are they taking a backseat to all of this? So different analysts will give you different answers. One is that the perception of American disengagement or lack of resolve may have motivated people, uh, including Putin, who reads all these things uh, or tries to, um, and, and thought the United States would not react, as we didn't with Crimea, Crimea, and we didn't with Donbass, and we hardly did with the, the Georgia. And, you know, they were fighting in Georgia in, even in recent months. So, the uh, you know, the... Um, one has to look at those factors about the United States. The no-fly zone is a very complicated thing, and, and I also think that the threats of World War III, I don't understand what the 
alignment will be. Do they think China is going to go in on the side of Russia against the West? I mean, China's interests are in its own development, its own things. They proved it in the past. It's only their interests that matter, and I, I don't think that they are prepared to, to, to engage, and I don't know who else. None of the Baltic states, none of the East European states would go in on the side of Russia. They, they are much more afraid of a war, uh, especially the Baltic states, that they will be next in, in any confrontation. Um, so that's one set of factors that, that you have to assess in you know, when people talk about World War III, the danger, of course, is that Russia is a nuclear power and that he put them, his nuclear forces on high alert. But I think it's a huge leap for any country to be the first to, to, to use nuclear power. Very serious decision for anybody, any government to make. It's an act of desperation, and, uh, you know, it's only the weapon of last resort. And he has plenty of other power that he can, he can uh, deploy uh, but I, I don't see a world war emerging from this. I think that this will have lasting consequences. I think we're going to see, um, and I hope lessons will be learned uh, from the negotiations in Vienna. I don't think lessons get learned very easily by the United States or the West. The deal that's being proposed is awful. There's no other word. It's just it's counterintuitive. Anybody who assesses America's national interests, let alone Israel, let alone everyone else, would never go along with a deal like this, that we're going to reward them, that we're negotiating with Venezuela, which is an Iranian proxy, from whom we, we blocked all the ships and, and, and you know, took the oil and, um, and, did, and have them under strict restrictions and sanctions, and now we're negotiating with them, that we're going to build up Venezuela and its capacity, its economic capacity. We're talking about giving $100 billion to Iran and to removing the sanctions from key people. When I heard this first from sources in Tehran a couple weeks ago that this is the way the negotiations were going, I said I can't even repeat it, not on the show and nowhere, because no one will believe it. It's not comprehensible that this would be the deal that we seem to be headed towards. And what's interesting is that nobody in Washington seems to care. It hasn't aroused the kind of reaction uh, that Senator Menendez made a, a great speech, and people should commend him, as I said earlier, a week or two ago when he made the speech. But overall, you don't see the action. You don't see the partisanship even. A group of 20 uh, members of Congress, 11 Democrats, wrote to the president expressing concern. I don't believe he's going to bring it to Congress. I think they're going to try and get this through without that. Um, and the, the, uh, the nature of the deal, and right now it's stymied. It's the negotiations, which were ready to be signed. By the way, the deal was ready to be signed, but they've been held up because Russia is insisting that the sanctions not apply to their dealings with Iran. So they're holding up the deal because they benefit either way. If, if Iran doesn't go into the deal, then 2 million barrels a day don't go back on the market, and Russia's oil, price, the price stays high. If they make the deal, then they can use Iran to bypass all the sanctions and also sell their oil through, through Iran. And so they, they position themselves to benefit. But listen to what the negotiator there said, that Tehran could never have anticipated such a good deal. They could never have expected that they would get a, a deal like this. And, and I think that that is true, that they, they, they could not have anticipated that we would see this kind of a, of a deal. And it's only the initial steps towards what would be a larger deal. Remember that the sunset clauses start to come into effect in a short time. 
the sunset clauses, meaning the limitations on missile development and many other things. It's a short time till they go into into uh, effect. So it's you know, and it's all a lot of it has to do with and uh, the perceptions of the U.S., the commitment of the West. The Europeans do not seem to play a big role. That it's primarily Russia that seems to have been directing this. They were pushing a hard line, making increased demands both in Tehran, pushing Tehran to a hard line, and in Vienna. Uh, and now they're they're manipulating the situation to try and gain from it. The um, the the why is there not a stronger call in Washington than for energy independence, for utilizing the resources of the United States? I mean, I. I, I just don't understand it. I, I know that there's a a large uh, uh, a, a large you know um, uh, constituency of green. Uh, I get it, but I mean we're talking about you know the future of this country and it being able to exist on its own and not rely on the parties that you just described. Why is that a greater call in Washington for energy independence? Well, there has been there's been a lot of talk about it. But but we have ways, you know, the pipelines, the other things, things that were closed down. American refining could be could be uh, secured. We we are energy independent if we want to be, and we were. And fracking and other things, I think, can be done environmentally safe ways. Um, the movement towards renewable energies and other things should be pursued. We showed that we can spend a lot of money on a lot of things when we want to. And uh, the passage of this bill this week, by the way, I don't know if we'll get to it, but the, the $13.7 billion includes a billion dollars for replenishment of the Iron Dome, which is not part of the regular aid package as an addition, as well as uh, money for uh, religious institutions for security, an enhanced amount from 180 to $250 million. Uh, but, but we're coming up with billions of dollars that will go to, to – um, Ukraine and will in all forms of sorts of assistance to them. Uh, I think non-military. Uh, but the the question you're posing is is so fundamental to America's interests. I think last time BB's speech sort of galvanized both pro and con opinions, but also the leadership uh, on this issue. Now we, we don't have a galvanizing event that and and the Republicans have come out and spoken against it. There are some Democrats who have spoken against it. If they understand the implications of what this deal, and again, we have to see it to know that that for sure is what is intended. But Rob Malley, who's the negotiator for the United States, is one of the parties that helped draft it in the first place and believed that the JCPOA was a legitimate approach and, and document. And now they justify it by this, uh, by getting us back on track. But this again is not the final deal for JCPOA. This is like a first stage, and and they won't need another stage. If they get uh, $50 billion, let alone the $100 billion people are talking about, or even $10 billion, much of that will go to the terrorists, and much of it, the 40% of the economy is controlled by the Supreme Leader and the IRGC. Uh, I know this is getting us off Ukraine, but I don't. I, I, people have to understand what a complex time, and it's interrelated. What happens there sends a message. What our, our friends in the Gulf think, what Israel thinks, what Egypt thinks, what Jordan, all of them, and anybody's called upon to to anticipate for their own defense system that Iran will have a nuclear capacity. They'll have a breakout time of a month or five weeks or, or two months, whatever. But in the meantime, they're developing their missiles capacity, they're developing the weaponization, and they have the capacity to enrich 
to 90%. We know that they have it, and, and they're not being asked to dismantle these institutions. They're putting them, they're frozen, freezing them. They're supposed to ship out the stuff to, to Russia, which will then benefit. So we're in, instituting all the sanctions, doing all this against Iran and the me, against Russia. In the meantime, we're negotiating with them in Vienna, and they will be, be beneficiaries because they'll be paid to take the, the spent fuel out of, out of Iran. Everything is interrelated, yeah. and, and people should not look for simple things and, and get caught up sometimes in some of the slogans that people say about, you know, how complex these issues are. And the prime minister of Israel, more than almost anybody, has to look at all of these things and consider what's not just for this week, next week, but six months, a year from now, where Israel will be. Do you think that the next couple of days will bring a little bit more of an air of diplomacy and uh, the possibility of a real ceasefire, or are we going in the opposite direction? I think both. I think that, well, again, who, who knows, but uh, I think both. I think we're going to see increased efforts. The humanitarian uh, crisis is touching people, and I think there's a growing demand for war. There is no avenue right now. NATO clearly can't do it. The U.N. has proven totally impotent. And anybody who says, you know, Israel should rely on and rely on, just look at this. Ukraine is much bigger than Israel. The sides here are clear. It's in the heart of Europe. And, and uh, you know, you've got to rely on yourself. And that's the bottom line of what Israel has always said. And if it isn't clear to people now, I don't know what will make it clear. I do not see yet the, the diplomatic avenue, the talks between Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, and the foreign minister of Ukraine. Very important. Maybe, maybe uh, we can create a ladder that they will do. But the demands Russia is making, that they never apply to NATO, maybe. But the other demands that they recognize the Russian seizure of Crimea as territory and the others become independent is not something that a Ukrainian government could could um, do and, and survive. You know, when before the fighting, uh, Zelensky was like at 15% popularity. Now he's a superhero all over the world, yep. and and, it's, and especially at home. And he has done a remarkable job, and he's a very serious guy. I, I, I met him before I didn't. I honestly couldn't did not assess him. I liked him, and we had very nice discussions. But in the discussions this weekend, you see how resolute he is and how determined he is that they didn't flee, you know, from Kiev. But he stayed, and he's fighting with the people. And, you know, the defense minister is also of Jewish origin. The, the, the mayor of Kiev, of Kiev is uh, of Jewish descent. The, the prime minister, or defense minister, rather, is uh um, but again, in this case, they're, they're acting as Ukrainians and as uh, for the interest of their country. I don't see the, the, a clear diplomatic path. I also don't see how, uh, if the military escalation, how you avoid a lot of civilian deaths and a lot of a lot of crisis that um, hopefully can be avoided. We certainly pray, and we have to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters that are. Going through all this, I don't know how they are able to survive. I know that in a lot of places that are uh, uh, that are you know hunkering down, so to speak, in the Ukraine, including synagogues and the Jewish institutions, they have tried very hard to load the load the area or the facility up with water and with food and supplies. But it must be just an impossible situation for so many people, especially the elderly, as you described earlier. So we continue to pray for everybody and those who are uh, anxious to support. Uh, be as responsible as you can in terms of uh, where the money goes. And uh, and uh, as we recommended earlier, the 
usually the more established organizations that have done this type of thing in the past are a good bet that they're able to uh, get the aid uh, to where it's needed and the money to where it's needed. Have you heard anything about BB, by the way? He had four shots and tested positive this week for coronavirus. Yes, he's been he's been isolated for a few days. And uh, Pastor Hagee, I know, had a discussion because he called him and said that he hopes that uh, he'll still be able to see him before uh, Pastor Hagee leaves. Uh, and, and I just have to say a word of tribute after spending time with him here and seeing the commitment that they have and, and all the good things that they're doing through Christians United, which has 11.5 million members in the United States. They add 100,000 members a month. It's, and, and they do no missionizing. They make people sign that they don't missionize Jews, and, and he certainly does not. Uh, but we have a lot of friends, so we should not be disheartened. Uh, I think um, you know there are many members of Congress who were here in Israel over the last couple of weeks, very positive, came back even more committed. Uh, and, and you see it in the countries in the region. I've had the opportunity to talk to some and. Uh, I think the Abraham Accords, other things are still are supported and and uh, looked to as a as a key to the future. So I don't want people to go into Shabbos feeling uh, pessimistic. We have to feel committed. We have to learn the lessons of what what is happening and make sure that we save lives that of all lives um, on both all sides and any side in, in this circumstance. But there are certain stands that you can't. You don't compromise. You've got to stand and, and think of the long-term implications. Well said and much appreciated. Have a wonderful Shabbos in Jerusalem. We'll speak to Zerat Hashem next week. God willing, be well, and stay safe. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with a weekly update here at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast, candlelighting at 538 in New York. Daylight savings time begins tomorrow night. Tanis Esther, the fast of Esther is Wednesday. Thursday is Purim. Friday is Shushan Purim. Get ready for a big week. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah, Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Wow. Tomorrow, we have the privilege of taking out from the Orna Kodesh two Sifrei Torah. The first one, we're going to read Amir Sashem, Parshas Vayikra. We start the third book of the Torah, Torah's Kohanim. Parshas Vayikra, according to the Chinuch, contains 11 positive mitzvos and five restrictions. We are introduced to the korbanos, the korban ola, the korban mincha, the korban shlamim, the korban chatos, in tomorrow's parsha, and from the second uh, sefer Torah, we have the privilege of reading Pasha's Zohar. Pasha's Zohar has the distinction of being a biblical reading. What does that mean? It means the fact that we read the Torah every Shabbos, that is a rabbinic mitzvah, that we read the last three psukim tomorrow from Parshas Kiseitse, beginning with the words, Sachor Esasher Solacha Amalek, that you have an obligation to remember 
that which Amalek did to you when you left Egypt, who chanced upon you when you left Egypt and he attacked from behind, the Torah says, and it shall be when you have rest from all your enemies in the land which Hashem has given you, you shall blot out <coughs> the memory of Amalek from under the heavens, lo tishkach. You are not to forget. Now, interestingly, the paragraph begins with the word zochor, to remember, and it ends with the words lo tishkach, don't forget. Now, one of those two seems extraneous. So the Gemara in Megillah tells us, no, that the first one of Zohor is Bepeh, that you are to articulate, not enough to think about it, while the second one at the end, Lo Sishkach, that is Balev. You are to harbor hatred in your heart for Amalek and whoever resembles Amalek. Who is Amalek today? There is no nation that has a name called Amalek today. However, Rav Salvechik said in the name of his family tradition that any people that have as their raison d'etre, their very purpose of being, is to, God forbid, cause harm and eliminate Klai Yisrael, as indeed Iran, as indeed Hamas, have as their basic uh, form of uniting them, they are modern-day Amalek. But as we will talk, please God, we're going to see that there is an additional level of understanding Amalek, as we'll see, please God, from Rashi in a few moments. And so, it is most preferable to hear Parsha Zohar this Shabbos in a minion. And therefore the Shulchan Aruch writes that if it's somebody who lives in a small town and there is not necessarily a minion every Shabbos, we don't say there might not be a minion for the Shabbos, therefore go to a community where there definitely will be. But we do say that regarding Pasha Zohar, that ideally one should hear it in a minion. Who's the one? According to the Chinuch, <coughs> it is only the men that are obligated in hearing Pasha's Zohar, because he connects the obligation of hearing Pasha Zohar with that which the Torah says you are to timche, obliterate, wipe out Amalek. And since it's the men who go to war and fight, therefore it is incumbent upon them to remember, and not the women. The Minchas Chinuch respectfully argues and says, wait a minute, is not Mechias Amalek a, um, a mitzvah, which is that this war is a Mechemes mitzvah, and a Mechemes mitzvah, women as well are to participate therein. And so there are different opinions, and throughout the years, 
different communities had either women, yes or not, necessarily coming to shul on this day. Minog, I believe, in America is, and in most places in Eretz Yisrael, is that women, if they could, should come to hear Pasha's Zohar. And not only that, many, many Bateknesios have a practice of laning a special reading of Pasha Zohar for women, either after the davening, men go home, women can come back, taking care of the children, or even later on, some have that practice. But it is to be read primarily with a minion. If one cannot, and they are alone at home, take out a chumash, read it ideally with the trup, but if not, read it from the chumash. Okay, that is this Shabbos Parshas Zohar. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Yom Tov of Purim Haba Oleinu Litova. Okay, Purim starts Hashem this coming Wednesday night. Before that, Wednesday, Tanis Esther. And Tanis Esther is a day that all healthy men and women should fast. However, and why are we fasting? Interestingly, one of the best-kept secrets about Purim is the Rambam writes in his introduction to his count of the mitzvos of the Torah that the seven mitzvos, which are rabbinic, have their source in the Torah. And therefore, what is the source for Purim? He quotes the Pasuk in Vo'eschanan saying, Umi, who is the, <coughs> the nation like Israel? Ashelo Elohim, Kruvim love, that God has this close personal relationship with the Jewish people. Kashem Elokeinu, like our God, Bechol Koreinu Elov. This is Purim. That whenever we call to God, He responds. Purim is chapter 4 of the Megillah. When Esther says, Lech Kenosis Kol Ayudim, go and gather all the Jews, and Sumu Alai, fast for me. Now, our fast is not to commemorate those three days that they fasted for Esther prior to her going to Achashverosh on the night of the Pesach Seder. Our fast, however, is when we fought against the um, enemy, those who were part of Haman's attempt to kill us, and we killed them on Tanis Esther on the 13th day of um, Adar. So our rabbis tell us that they fasted on the day that they went to war. Why? Unlike you would have imagined, on a day you go to war, eat Wheaties because it's the breakfast of champions. No, they fasted showing that it's their tshuva and their imuna in Hashem what's enabling them to win the war. Women who are nursing, women who are pregnant, 
and those who find the fast especially challenging don't fast. It's a interesting, says the Raivad, this is a ta'anis shel simcha. It's a fast of happiness, a kind of oxymoron. Okay, here we go. Let's go to Mitz Hashem. The minog is that mincha time. After mincha on Tanis Esther, we give zecher lemachzis hashekel. Others do it on the night of or on the day of, which is a remembrance to the mitzvah of machzis hashekel that we read about on the Shabbos before uh, Rosh Chodesh Adar, and that is to give and <coughs> the practice is we take three half dollars, pick them up, put it down, and then give charity to the Besakneses uh, and to others. Okay, now, starting with Purim, Wednesday night, there's a mitzvah to hear the Megillah, and the Gemara in Megillah teaches us there's a mitzvah to hear it at nighttime and once again by daytime. Interestingly, go to both. But if a person had to choose, the day is more important than the night. In many communities, you wouldn't know that. It might be easier for everybody to come out at night and with all the children. But I'm telling you, the No Debihuda writes at nighttime, it's rabbinic. And the daytime, it's medivre sofrim, meaning it's one notch above. It's in between rabbinic and in between biblical. It's medivre kabbalah from the uh, prophets. Okay, now, um, once again, the Megillah most preferably should be read with a minion and even with more, berov am hadras melech. If one cannot come to shul, then please call your local rav, and he will try to arrange that you'll have somebody coming to your home to read the Megillah for you. It's important that you hear each and every word of the Megillah. Women are obligated in the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah because, as the Gemara says, because they too were included in the miracle. Now what does that mean? Either they were included in Haman's decree to, God forbid, destroy the Jewish community, women as well, or no, the other side is that women, namely Esther, helped bring about the Yeshua and the great miracle which happened through um, Esther. And therefore, one of the two reasons is why women are obligated for and to hear, you know, the Megillah. One is to hear every word of the Megillah. If you have a Megillah, a handwritten Megillah in front of you, and you think you might have missed a word, by all means read it from the Megillah. You can even do the same from a printed text, a chumash, etc., that the, uh, in the back you'll find, therefore, that follow, and if you think you missed a word, you can 
just read it, but do so as the Balkore is doing. In other words, read it there, not say, when I get home, I think I missed the second verse in chapter 4. No, it has to be read, you know, in order, etc. This is the mitzvah of Mikram Megillah, Wednesday night, and on, please God, Thursday during the day. Okay, now, the, the day of Purim contains four mitzvahs. The reading of the Megillah, which we've done night and day. And interestingly, before we read the Megillah, three brachos are recited. Al-Mikra Megillah, the mitzvah, the obligation to read the Megillah. And Sha'asa Nisim, that he performs miracles for us. Keep in mind, this is the exact same bracha that we recite when we light the Ner Hanukkah. Whoa, Ner Hanukkah. Everybody agrees that's a miracle. What could have, should have, burned for one day the oil, burned for eight days. Where is the miracle of Purim? Now that's exactly the point. The very name <coughs> Esther means hidden, as found in Parshas Vayelech, towards the very end of the Torah. Hashem says, Onochi haster astir ponai. I will hide my face at that time. So Esther talks about hastor ponim, and that's the time of Purim. There were no Nevim at the time of uh, Purim. It's the beginning of the time without the Word of God coming to us directly. It's coming right before the building of the second base of Migdosh, and there were Nevi'im there to oversee the building of the second base of Migdosh. But we believe, and that's why Purim is always, as this year, in Adar Sheni. Why didn't we have it in the first Adar? We don't like to pass over mitzvos, but the answer is we want Purim next to the holiday of Passover, because just as everybody agrees, wow, Pesach is a miracle, so too the Yom Tov of Purim is a miracle. And we have the third bracha before the reading of the Megillah, Shechianu. We thank Hashem for giving us the privilege of living to and observe this coming mitzvah of Mikra Megillah. Okay, the other mitzvahs of the day of Purim are what goes with the <coughs> reading the Megillah is Matonos Levionim, namely, every man and woman is obligated to give money or food to at least two poor persons. Why? Because, as the Rambam writes, there is no greater joy. How do we celebrate and show we're happy? By helping and making others, and especially the poor, needy, giving them happiness. By making others happy, that is how you know we are. And therefore, you should know the Rambam writes, Shulchanor quotes this, Mishnah Brura, Mutov, it's better. Laharabos bimatonos levionim, it's best to spend more on giving gifts to the poor than your seuda and your mishloach monos, which we'll talk about in a moment. Keep that in mind, very important. 
you have to give to at least two individuals. Okay? Now, evionim in the plural. Now, how much should you give? There really is no minimum, but I'm going to suggest that at least the two needy individuals, the minimal amount that he'd have to pay for a su'uda, for his su'uda. So, if he were to buy a sandwich, let's be nice and give him a Coke and at least a bag of potato chips. So, what kind of, we're talking about at least $12. Try to give at least two of that. Now, if you know poor people, the best thing is to give it to them directly. If you don't have that opportunity or they're not going to come knocking on your door, etc., then give it in the Besaknesis, give it to your local Rav, and he will have the opportunity to dispense and to give these monies on your behalf on Purim. Okay, you have the third mitzvah of Su'udas Purim that we celebrate. And one of my rabbeim said to me so beautifully years ago that on Hanukkah we won the war and we lost unfortunately, great men in the process. Therefore, you can't fast on Hanukkah, but there is no obligation to have a su'uda. Purim, we defeated 75,000 of our enemy, as we're taught in chapter 9, and we did not lose a man. Whoa, that's worth celebrating. As well as, the Gemara tells us that one of the reasons why we were threatened with extermination is because we might have been coerced to go to the Achashverosh's party, which we're told about in chapter 1 of Megillah's Esther, but we didn't have to enjoy it. Nanu, we enjoyed the Su'uda of Achashverosh, and that was an absolute no-no. And so what do we do? We show that we celebrate properly as opposed to celebrating improperly at the beginning of the uh, Su'uda. Also, at the Su'uda, there is <coughs> the law that should be understood properly. And that is, since so much of the miracle happened through the Mishtehayayin, through the party that Esther brings, or, you know, Haman and Achashverosh to, or look at it this way, the king getting drunk at the beginning, asking for Vashti, and the rest is history as far as that goes. We start with the Mishtehayayin, and when Mordechai says to Esther, go and plead for your people, she forgets her line. And when she's there, instead of saying, save the Jews, she says, uh, 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 could you please come tomorrow with Haman? And the next day, could you, at that party, uh, 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 she forgets her line, save the Jews, and could you please come the next day? And that night is when all the action happens. Balailahu, that night, Nodedosh Nas HaMelech, literally, King Achashverosh couldn't sleep. The rabbis tell us, Melech Malchei Amlochim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
puts everything into full swing and action. So, since so much happened around the wine, we have wine at our Sa'uda as well. And the point is, my friends, Purim should not, God forbid, be (coughs) misunderstood in the sense that it's a day of drinking. No, it's a day of happiness, and we show our happiness by a l'chaim. And I think the l'chaim should be with wine, as it should be. But it has to be only in a way that the person is still going to say, Baruch Mordechai, blessed is Mordechai, and Oror is Haman, cursed is Haman. If God forbid something is going to come out of his mouth, which is contrary to Baruch Mordechai and cursed is Haman, don't drink. Obviously, if you're going to drive chas v'sholom, you're not going to drink in any which way which is going to impair. But we're talking now that the purpose of that little bit of additional drinking at your suda, that's going to enhance and bring out more of singing, more of proper zmiros, more of divrei Torah. Ah, and by the way, let me get it in. What's the suda for? The idea is the Gemara tells us in Shabbos that we received the Torah at Sinai, but Kahar Kegigis, God picked up the mountain as a barrel and said, take my Torah or this is where you're going to die. They had no choice. We took the Torah. So you could ask, wait a second, we were coerced? The Talmud answers that Purim is a time that we accepted the Torah willingly. Kimu Kiblu. We celebrate the reacceptance of Torah. When we celebrate Torah, you can't, God forbid, drink in a disrespectful way. If you only put things in the right perspective, then you really come to enjoy the Yom Tov of Purim. And finally, Mishloach Monos, sending of gifts, Alpidin, all you need is one. Mishloach Monos Ishlareyehu, one. And two edible foods. If you have to send to one, send to one, not to your best friend. They'll always be your best friend. Send to one who doesn't know that much about Purim. And this way you will have a greater rapport. Bring him in to the Jewish circle. That's the idea of, quote, Mishloach Manos, Ishlareyehu, showing that we do care one about another. And finally, let me just conclude with the idea that a Amalek represents not only the physical people of Amalek that we spoke about before, but you have homework tomorrow night, bring to the table Chumash and Rashi on the Pesach Asher Korcha. And Rashi tells us that the word Korcha, this is chapter 25, verse 18. Asher Korcha Rashi gives three interpretations. One is Mikra, that Amalek stands for chance. What does that mean? It means that everything in this world, we believe, Hashkacha Pratis, comes from God. And Amalek says, everything is by chance. Secondly, 
the idea of keri, tuma, impurity. He unfortunately subjected us, meaning opened up and tried to influence us in a negative way of impurity, immorality. And finally, korcha from the term kar, he cooled us off. All the nations of the world were afraid of us because they saw the Jewish people as God's people, all the miracles he had done for us, and Amalek showed, come on, you could attack them. Even though he got burnt and he lost, still he paved the way for others. So Amalek stands not only for the physical Amalek, but each and every year we remind ourselves on Purim, Timcha Ezecher Amalek stands strong against the negative influences about us. I take this opportunity of wishing Nachum and his family and all our listeners, supporters of JM in the AM Nachum Siegel app a meaningful Shabbos, Pasha Zohar, and a very Freilicha Purim. We should understand what a privilege it is for us to observe Purim. Let's keep in mind our Chinu, B'nai Yisrael, especially in the Ukraine, our Tfilos. Purim is a time of Tfilah. Our Tfilos should be for them that very, very soon they too will be able to celebrate as we this very special Yom Tov. Shabbat Shalom and a Freilicha Purim to all. J.M. in the A.M., my thanks to Rabbi Yudin. What a, an amazing, comprehensive look at the next few days. Shabbat Zohar, Purim, etc. We are going to observe Tanis Esther, the fast of Esther on Wednesday. Thursday is Purim. Friday is Shushan Purim. I hope you'll be with us here at J.M. in the A.M. and the Nachum Siegel Network. Remember, Purim soundtrack for you and your family is us. The Nachum Siegel Network is the soundtrack for Purim anytime on Thursday or at any point this week. Uh, we have friends and family over at any time that you want to listen in. Uh, you'll hear some great Purim selections, and this will be the opportunity uh, to really keep our app, uh, your computer, uh, your web radio, whatever method it is that you listen with, um, on full volume and enjoy the holiday with amazing music. It's Erev Shabbos Zacher, candlelighting at 538 in New York. We do fall, we do spring forward. <laughs> I don't know why I kept saying fall forward. We do spring forward, so you'll be able to uh, get a uh, a later uh, a start to Shabbos starting next week, but for today it's 5.38 for candle lighting on this uh, Erev Shabbos. So this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount on all Abel's and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net with promo code RADIO. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today and take our recommendation. Use A&H for your Purim Suda. You will be glad you did. Also, our friends at Art Scroll have confirmed Rabbi Gladstein will join us in the 8 o'clock hour. Please, God, this coming Monday, we'll discuss his brand new book on Purim. That's happening this Monday right here at JM in the AM, so make sure to be tuned in. Information about his brand new book and all the offerings for Purim, go to artscroll.com. Go to artscroll.com, and you know the rule. Always use promo code radio when you're on artscroll.com. Simple as that. Time to take it Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app. Want to take this opportunity to wish a mazel tov to the uh, extended Weingast and Engelmeyer families. Um, mazel tov, uh, the uh, brand new baby boy now has a name, <laughs> and that's Avri Lev. Avri Lev, 
Uh, Mazal tov again to um, uh, Debbie and Judy Engelmeyer, to our uh, amazing JMM family, including Karen and Matis Weingast. And, of course, um, uh, to Ellie and uh, Ariel, uh, a very special Mazel Tov from all of us here at JMNAM. Avri Lev is the name. And then on the app, someone said Mazel Tov to the Weingats and Engelmeyers on the birth of their grandson, Avram Lev. So whichever one it is, we say Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Brand new Table for Two with Naomi Nachman coming up next. Then Mark Zamek in the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Plenty of great programming all day long. We're back here on Monday morning starting at 6 a.m. Matis is on Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. You can wish him a Mazel Tov then. Um, and, of course, a Saturday night single with Avrami tomorrow night. Kedem presents our incredible programming all through the day today. Make sure to be tuned in. There's no better way to prepare for Shabbos than with us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. And, again, a big thank you to Avrami and to Mayor Fertig and to uh, all of our staff and volunteers. Until next week, Nahum Siegel reminding you, Remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.